This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all our uh, online viewers. So, uh, we uh, graciously appreciate the anonymous sponsor, and may whoever sponsored be blessed with many, many blessings. Even who's not anonymous, just also be blessed with many, many blessings. But even more so, someone who does a mitzvah that is hidden is even greater to, um, you know, the, the blessing is even even greater. Okay, so I w- we want to continue. La- two weeks ago, two weeks ago we spoke about uh, Bible criticism. And um, I have to be clear because I've been getting some emails on this. I'm not going to be speaking about every single question that people have on the Torah because then we'll be here for a very, very long time. And now we would have to be here, you know, most likely for the same amount of classes we have in this series just for that series alone. So what I decided to do was to take the general concepts, pick a few things out from those concepts, and those applications you could apply to most other general situations. So last week we spoke, well, two weeks ago, we spoke about, um, we spoke about when the Torah and science conflicts. And we gave many different interpretations over there, many different answers. Uh, one of the most easiest common answers that we gave is for uh, is the idea that that Chazal, for when it comes to specific scientific you know matters, the the sages and the Gemara use the common knowledge of the sages during of the of the scientific sages of that time. So, for example, what that means is is that if let's say somebody would go and write a book on a Torah book nowadays, so right in 2018, they would write a book today and they would include knowledge of that is common knowledge scientifically of today, whatever it is, antibiotics help. What I'm just giving an example. And then like five, ten years down the line, they find out that not only antibiotics doesn't help, it kills also the good cells and yada yada. It's very detrimental. Does that mean that the book that was written five years ago is all wrong? Or is it that maybe one part of it was not correct? But why wasn't it correct? It wasn't based on the Torah knowledge. It was based rather on the common scientific knowledge of that day. So there are some things that the, when the Talmud, when the Gemara speaks about it, it's dealing with the common scientific knowledge of that day. Um, and it's not, it's not in relation to any halachic principles. And things that were related to halachic principles, we actually spoke about that. And, you know, whoever understands what I'm saying about good, if not, then just, you know, move forward. It's fine. So... We spoke about last class about scientific stuff. To this class, we're going to speak about a little bit of a different angle. What, we, what we're going to speak about, Bezal Hashem, in this class is um, different types of questions that people have on the Torah uh, that it's going to range from different angles, but more like, was the Torah original? Did the Torah copy from a different source? But really, that, all the stuff that I'm going to bring to you is all fluff. What the real part of what I'm trying to convey is over here is that you, I'm going to bring up some legitimate questions that you might think is legitimate questions, but then I'll show you that it's the most simplest question that you can answer. And the problem being is that when people go and when people ask a question on the Torah, automatically the Torah is put to trial. Go prove it. Go figure it out. You go, you go prove it to me. But really, if you just look at the Torah just a little bit and we'll see how elementary some of the questions that are asked and people write books about this. There are blogs, there are websites dedicated to disproving the Torah, and they bring down these proofs. And these proofs are so easy, like a second grader can answer these questions in a very advanced school, right? I don't know, whatever. So, you know, elementary level, it's an elementary level answer that you can answer these things, but yet, it's, it's such a question for them, so that, that they, it's worthy enough to bash the Torah, to go against the Torah, that they, they, it, they would invest time to build a blog, build a website, write a book, all these things, which I find it very, very fascinating how when you look at what people do in life, a lot of times it's not about the final action. It's not about if things make sense or not. It's based only on their agenda. 
Which means is if they had an agenda already to disprove the Torah, so even though there's something that is easily proven correctly, they won't put, they, they don't care about that. They're gonna put the questions. Why? Because nine out of ten people that are going to blogs are usually not the most smartest people. Right? And I know I'm hitting a soft spot for some people because if you want to learn something, let's say, and I'll tell you why I say that. Let me, let me clarify why I mean by that. Uh, and I'm not saying all blogs are wrong. I don't know about blogs. I don't read blogs. I don't understand. You know, like the, the whole idea of blogging is beyond my concept of, of understanding where one guy in a basement decides, you know what? The world needs to hear this. And they just start typing in, uh, you know where Mashiach is really going to come? And they're going to come over here. And then they have, though, no, you know what's really bad? This rabbi and this rabbi and this rabbi. So people decide that the whole world needs to hear their opinions. That's not even the, the part that, that's, confuses me, amuses me. I don't know what's the right, you know, adjective or verb to actually print, use that. But it's the fact that people go to that and read, be like, yeah, let's, let's hear what Scott has to say. This is important stuff. Let's, let's, you know, let's spend another 10, 15 minutes to what he wrote on the toilet. Let's, you know, this is important. And we take this information and we're like, yeah. Legitimate information. Meanwhile, if you have a question in the Torah, where should you look? In the Torah. If you have a question in science, you don't look at blogs. You look at scientific journals. You look at things that are peer reviewed. You look at you look at uh, you know I- ideas from the scientific world that are proven, not from what someone wrote in his basement or in his garage, you know, in his computer that his mother just bought him from his bar mitzvah money. <laughs> so the idea is is that when you're going and when you when you have an agenda, then you could fool a lot of people. And it's a shame because 9 out of 10 of those people don't, don't know any better to look in the right places. So they read online, they search online Bible criticism, or they search online some other, you know, whatever, some other term, and it comes up, and they come up over there, and they start reading, and all of a sudden they have questions on the Torah. But meanwhile, these questions are nothing. They're not even the beginning of a question, but they don't know because they don't have any knowledge on the Torah. And that's what I'm going to prove today. What I'm going to prove today, what I'm going to show you today is the questions that are asked on these situations where people got to the point, and you know, and I, at this point in time, I do want to, you know, I guess if I could do a shout out, there's a guy by the name of Jack, I don't know if he wants me to say his last name, but he know who I'm talking, who I'm uh, you know, referring to, that asks me a lot of these questions, presents me a lot of this information. So I get a lot of uh, um, a lot of good information from him. So a shout out to Jack. Thank you very much for all the um, for all those for all that information, all the questions. The <clears throat> the point is, is that a lot of this information is becoming very popular, and it's beyond me that how could somebody? Let me give you an example like this. You go to a doctor, and the doctor prescribes for you, and by the way, there's a lot of people like this. You go, a doctor prescribes for you, um, what's a good medication? I don't want to say antibiotics because we used it already, but let's say antibiotics, right? Let's say antibiotics. Uh, doctor prescribes you antibiotics. And then they go, and the patient says, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take that. And the doctor says, listen, you have an upper respiratory infection. It's not going to be good for you. You're going to end up, you know, it could end up with pneumonia. You're going to have other problems like this. You're going to end up in the hospital. Just take the antibiotics. Be like, no, it's the pharmacology, you know, world. They're running the world. They're running the president. They're running this. 9-11 was orchestrated by the, you know how it goes, right? So, um, so they go and they say, no, I'm not going to take it. And the doctor says, listen, you know, the doc- in order to become a doctor, you don't have to just learn medicine. You don't have to learn, like, fever, Tylenol. You know, anything else, Tylenol plus whatever. It doesn't work like that. There is, 
there is, you know, they have to go through tremendous amount of schooling, and, they, and there's a right reason for it. They go through chemistry. They go through, you know, different versions of chemistry. They go to organic chemistry, to inorganic chemistry. They learn the pharmacology of the of the substance, the way that it helps. Now, I'm not saying that there's no, there's definitely bad things in the drugs that you take. There's a hundred percent, and it causes bad things to your body a hundred percent. But you have to think about: is it beneficial or is it positive, or is it the same thing, beneficial or or detrimental? Now, when you're going to a doctor, and the doctor spent. 12 years in school specializing for this. And they're like, listen, you got an infection. I'm going to write you a script. Take this to the pharmacy. And you're like, nope. Scott at scott.com, you know, told me. He said, you know, that he did research. And the pharmaco- all this antibiotic just makes you worse or not better. Now, who are you going to charge? Who are you, who are you even going to? The guy who has plaques on his wall, who has an office, who could bill insurance. Now, it doesn't say anything nowadays. But still, <laughs> he has all those things. And he is known to come from, you know, he has, he has, a, he has a, a, you know, a lucrative practice that is, a, well, lucrative. also not so much anymore these days. He's a doctor. Let's just leave it at that. He went through all those schoolings. He's a doctor. And he's able to say, listen. Take this. And then you have another schmo who's sitting in his couch while eating cookies from his stomach. And he says, no, it's not good. Who are you going to listen to? If you're the person that listens to the guy in the couch, then you're in that percentage that I said before. I'm sorry. You know, truth sometimes hurts. What can I tell you? So generally, you know, I'm not going to have a problem with that. Because the people that are wasting the time reading the blogs are not wasting time learning Shulim. <laughs> so anyways, they're not going to be like, well, listen, you know, I'm a blogger and I write, you know, and I have to, you know, do a lot of research on my thing. So for that 1%, you know, we'll give that, that 1%. And by the way, I'm not saying against all bloggers and I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not starting an attack on the internet world because that's the last thing that anybody uh, wants to do who wants to keep a sane, uh, you know, a name in the world. I'm not starting a name over here. All I'm saying is check your sources. When you're going and when you're researching something, when you have questions on something, if you have questions on Judaism, don't look at, you know, Muhammad, if, you know, from Islam to go answer it. Or don't look from Christianity to go and try to answer it. Or don't look from an atheist to try to answer the Torah. You look at the Torah if you have questions on the Torah. You look at science if you have questions on science. This is also why when I speak about a lot of different religions, I don't base a lot of the information from the Torah. I base it from their own religion. Because if you want to disprove something, you disprove something from their own foundation. Not from the outside foundation, because they could argue, whatever it is. But if you disprove something from your own foundation, then fine. Now, let's, let that, with that introduction, let us begin to, uh, um, to understand, you know, some of these topics. So, has anybody here ever heard of something called the Epic of Gilgamesh? Mm-hmm. Oh, you had two people. Three people. Four people, five people, everybody. We're all Jews, right? Everyone just raise your hands. Someone's gonna, right? Okay. 7,000 people who are here today all heard about it. Okay, very good. So, now, the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, doesn't it sound, right, it doesn't sound made up, right? Sounds like a dip or something, right? Would you like some Gilgamesh with that? Gilgamesh, please, you know. Um, so uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, what, what's interesting about this particular idea is that the oldest text that we have today ever written is from this, the Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, which means it's preserved to this date. How good, whatever, we'll speak about that later. But it's the oldest version of a text that we have. This came, so they say that uh, Gilgamesh was a king. His name was King Gilgamesh. And um, what he lived about... about 2700 BCE. So that's about 4700 years ago. Quite some time. The oldest text that we have is about 4000 years old. 2000 BCE. So it's about 4000 years old that we have this, uh, this type of text. Now, what does this have to do with Bible criticism? What does this have to do with people asking questions on the Torah? Because there are some stories that are written in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was written, by the way, before, you know, High Sinai. Before Mount, High Sinai was, anybody know what year was High Sinai in the English year? What? Well, I'm talking about the English here. 
because we're talking about BC, right? It was about, what was, if I'm not mistaken, 1312, if I'm not mistaken, BC. And we say over here, the oldest text over here is about 2,000. You're talking about over, almost 700 years older than the, than the first time the Torah was written. So um, what you have over here is this old text, and there are stories that are very similar to the stories of, of the Torah. And now what the Bible critics go and they start saying, be like, aha, you see the Torah plagiarized. They started copying from older texts, and they started putting it all together. Now let me share with you some of the, some of the things that it, that it mentions in, the, um, in this epic of Gilgamesh. The... What is it? Yeah. It's like, it's like, a, it's like, well, there was no books back then, so it was like, it was like tablets, and, uh, again, not that tablets, um, it, like, you know, real tablets, and there was, there was, you know, text carved into the tablets, and that is still preserved today. So it's, yeah, so it has some stories that are very similar to the stories in the Torah. For example, there's a story about Gilgamesh and the flood. There was going to be a big flood. And God or gods, right, went to Gilgamesh and say, hey, listen, break down your house and build a boat. And then he went and he had to gather all the animals. And he had to gather, um, you know, and, and there was a, a warning. And then he also sent out some birds. You know, Noah sent some birds. Noah has to build a boat. They're very, very similar stories compared to the Torah and compared to the Epic of Gilgamesh. So then they stay and then they say, listen, so what we see over here is what? Is like, the Torah is not original. The Torah copied from, uh, you know, some older text and they just incorporate it into this man-made religion. So where are they coming with this? They're coming saying that this is a man-made, the Torah is a man-made religion and they just copied it from previous texts and here we have the proof. Then they bring another thing. They bring something called the magic plant. The magic plant is similar to the Etzadas, or Etzachayim, better yet, where you have a plant that Gilgamesh had that, or he was, you know, looking for, that there was an ability to go heal all your sicknesses, live forever, immortality, something similar like that, and he lost it because of the sin of the serpent. Similar, similar stories compared to the stories that we have in the Torah. So now, the first time that I heard, this, that, that I heard about this, um, I said, what's the question? I'm like, what do you mean? Plagiarism, you know, copying it directly from, you know, previously. I'm like, really? Uh, so I asked this person like this. Imagine there's a textbook written in New York City about 9-11. Everything that it has to say about 9-11. Then there's another textbook written in Texas about 9-11. Did the one from Texas plagiarize and copy it from the one in New York City? Now, how do they know the story? How do they know about 9-11? Must be they went and they looked at the one from New York City or New York City, whatever, and then they copied it. Imagine now... There's a 9-11, you know, in New York City, a 9-11 in Texas. And there's a 9-11 also story, not, not a 9-11 in each place, I'm saying the, the story of the 9-11 written in all these places. And then there's also another one written in Australia. Are we going to say for a second that they plagiarized? Does anybody have a, you know, you'll say, what would you say? It'd be like, no, they didn't plagiarize. It's a very popular story. And everybody knew it. What is the question if, you know, people wrote it down? And in fact, we know in the flood, the, the story of the flood, it's in many, many, many different cultures, in ancient cultures, including the Chinese culture, the, if I'm not mistaken, the Egyptian culture, I'm not sure, but you have many, many different cultures. It speaks about the story of the flood. It's never called Noah. It's sometimes it's called, you know, if it's Chinese, it's called Yao, something, I don't know. And then they have in a different, uh, you know, in a different, it's all called diff- based on their old thing. But it's a very, very similar story. That is just the opposite. Not only does it not refute anything, it just brings more solid proof that there was a flood. It brings more solid proof that it is actually legit, because here we have sources already going back from that time frame that has that information. So now, so there's two ways to look at it now. So you can look at it as a question for the Torah. 
Or you can look at that as a proof for the Torah. It depends on what your agenda is, what your outlook is in life, depending on where you're looking. When you're looking for the truth, then the, the truth is you're going to look at this question equally, and you'll get this question equally, but you ultimately will come to the finalized truth. But if you have an agenda that even if the truth is smacking you in the face, you're not going to see it. Over here, they think it's such a great question. They, there's there's websites dedicated for this. I'm not joking. I, when I when I was searching, I'm like I'm like wow, people actually you know spend time and money and effort to dedicate for something that is so silly and so easily answered that it, 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 I don't I don't even understand the question. The question doesn't even come to me. I'm like that proves it. It doesn't prove. It. Like just like you wouldn't say that somebody who wrote a story unless it's like word for word. If it's word for word, fine. Then you can say you plagiarize, all right? You can, you can word for word. But if it's the same story, the same concept. How is that plagiarizing a very popular story? There's also, there's another story written about the Adam and Chavad, all, you know, the primal, you know, uh, um, the primal, you know, uh, uh, man or whatever it was. And this is not, this is in a different, not, not in the epic of Gilgamesh. That doesn't prove anything. That is, that is something that is a very, that is where the source of all mankind is. If you know something, you'll know a few things. You'll know about that. You know, you know about the few big ideas. The, something like Adam and Chava, something like the flood. It's not something that just gets swept under the rug and you don't know. But you don't know about it. These are very popular stories. We should not be surprised that it appears at other at other locations. We should actually show it as a proof that it's actually a legitimate story. It's actually true. The furthermore, even this is, it goes even further. The text was written in a language called like Akidan, and this this language is a, like a Semitic, like anti, like it's it's a very very old old language. You're talking about you know four thousand years old. How many people do you know nowadays that speak more than one language? And how many of those languages are ancient languages? Right? You don't have a lot of those people that will speak, you know, ancient Egyptian and be like, yes, hieroglyphics, you know, like I speak that. They're not, you don't have that, you don't have that, that information now. Why? Because most people don't do it. And even the more so all this ancient one, so even though we have a translation on this, doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually accurate. We think it's more or less accurate. Furthermore, to step on and pop that, the information that we have, is not taken from one text. It was taken from a few different texts that were found over different periods of time, written in different languages, and they were sort of pieced together. So now you have, and this is what I found very interesting, you have this text that is not strong in foundation. It doesn't have a strong source. Okay, granted, you do all the dating for it, it's old, and you have all that. But then you have the translation. Then you have the missing links. Then you have the different texts from different eras. And you have all this information. And then you use that to ask a question on the Torah, which is in one piece, which we have direct, you know, from, you know, from, you know, from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. So we have all this information. And yet you're using that to ask a question. That it's like, it's like you're taking a variable and a constant and you're asking a question from the variable to the constant. Whoever doesn't know what, okay, I see some, okay, it doesn't matter. Okay. So, alright, it doesn't matter. So. So. At least you lost me at variable. Some people lose me at welcome. So. So, um, that's a good thing. So. Yeah. So now, okay, does that make sense? Forget about the mathematical part that I spoke about before. The other part makes sense, what I said. Okay, so now I want to speak about something else, another interesting name, if you may. It's called Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism is an ancient religion um, that claim, they claim, the claim, the Bible critics claim that the Jewish people took from Zoroastrianism. They claim, first of all, that Zoroastrianism was the first monotheistic religion, and Judaism came and took it from Zoroastrianism. So that is the claim. Let's try to go and uh, you know understand this concept. So first of all, what is Zoroastrianism other than a name that sounds like a robot? Zoroastrianism was started, was started by a um, person by the name of Zoroaster. Now this person, he um, had a vision during a ritual bath, which is generally how these stories start. Um, <laughs> and uh, he... You know, like, you know, whatever, you know, I lied up here to him, told him, hey, listen, um, there are 
other gods, but there is a good god. And then there, you think about it this way. There's a good god and there's a bad god. The good god is the one that created the world, is a very benevolent. And then there's a bad god or bad destructive power. With, with almost to equal power. Like a very, very strong, think of it as like a devil versus a god type of a situation. And the, and in fact, if we just stop over here, this is not a monotheistic religion, it's more dualistic. It's more, sounds like two powers that are fighting against each other that for, for one. But even, the, even if you want to say monotheistic, fine, we'll give that to you. Let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, you know, let's throw that. Zoroastrianism, it's, um, there, there's a lot of worship that involves fire. There's a lot of, uh, you know, how do I explain it in a simple way? The good God created the world and created people that when the people do good deeds, they overpower the evil God, the evil power, and that will destroy them. And that will destroy the evil, the, I'm sorry, the evil, uh, the evil power. And by doing these things, they'll have, there's reward and there's punishment and there's a lot of common things that are, that are very, very similar to a Jewish perspective on things. Now, not only that, there's also a messianic figure. There's a messianic figure in Zoroastrianism that this figure is, you know, happens to be, is also born from a virgin. Um, by also, I don't mean that Judaism has anything to do with a virgin born, you know, Messiah, rather Christianity. And by the way, this definitely came before Christianity, according to all opinions and all sources. So they, there was, a, there, there is an opinion that there is, I'm sorry, a, a belief in this religion that there is going to be a messianic figure. This messianic figure is going to go and going to resurrect people. It's going to bring an era of peace. It's going to change the, you know, the world the way that uh, that we know it. The they also have daily prayers. They also have a day of introspection on. Their Erev Rosh Hashanah, the, the eve of their New Year's, there's a day of introspection. When is this, this New Year's? It's in the, it's in the spring equinox. Now, anybody who knows anything about ancient religions, when you're dealing with equinox, it's generally, and it's a lot of time associated with sun worship. Cause that's the power of the sun. And in fact, they do have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things that are, are detailing around the sun and around fire. And in fact, that's why they, they deal a lot with fires and smoke. If anybody knows anything about this type of religion, it's very, very uh, popular with that type of worship. Which makes it sound more from an ancient polytheistic religion rather than a monotheistic religion. But let's give it to them. Let's say, yes, it's a monotheistic religion, which is more like, it's less likely that it's a, that monotheistic than more than a dualistic religion, but let's say it's a monotheistic religion. And let's give it to them that there's a messianic, and there's many, many similar ideas. What is exactly, and I went through what they claim that the Jewish people took from, uh, from them, and I went through all of them, and now we're gonna answer each and every single one of them. And we're gonna, and I'll show you how elementary it is. So first of all, let me tell you all the issues they said. They said that first of all, Judaism took monotheism from Zoroastrianism. They also took the afterlife, heaven and Gehenom, heaven and hell, also from Zoroastrianism. They also took Mashiach, the Satan, and resurrection, and the angels, all from Zoroastrianism. So that's a pretty heavy claim. And this person must have done tremendous amount of research on the entire Torah to know that Zoroastrianism took all this, that Judaism took all this from, from this ancient religion. So, First, the first thing when you're dealing with who took from who, the first thing that you have to check is the dates. Who came first? You have to see who came first. Because that would answer a lot of questions. So when did Zoroastrianism come? So the, the, early, the first compilation of their holy text, which is known as the Avesta, this is roughly at the year 200 Common Era, which is not that long ago. With 200 Common Era is, you know, talking about 1800 years ago. Roughly around that time that you're talking about the Torah was given about 1700 years before the first text came, you know, before the first text, uh, you know, came. By the way, we could stop right here.
And that would be the end. But let's indulge it and let's go further in case there's any questions that anybody ever has on this. They say that generally there was an, it was written beforehand, but it was destroyed by Alexander the Great. Fine, we'll give it to them. When did, so when, if it was really beforehand, when did, so we just said the text itself, the first one that was written down was about 200 common era, the first one that we have now, whatever, however you want to, you interpret that. When did he, this Zoroaster actually live? So some, there's a very big machloket in there, you know, in that world. They go from different angles. There's some of them that say, you know, it was 8,400 years ago, with absolutely no proof to it. You know, like, yeah, 8,000, like 6,000 years before Plato, whatever, like, like crazy, crazy, uh, you know, different, uh, um, you know, uh, um, you know, De- I, you know, definitions that make with absolutely no no foundations toward it, to it. They, uh, you know, some of them say that he actually was, uh, you know, he actually lived around 1400 to 1200 BCE, which is a very, very weak claim, because how do they base off this claim? Based off the linguistic, you know, ideas that is written in the books. So, for example, if you read a book and the book speaks about ancient things, you figure it's about that time, which is one of the weakest claims. That's like saying that JC, who wrote Christian, who wrote the, you know, started Christianity, he lived in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Because he speaks about the Torah. But like, just because he speaks about the same concepts, uh, the same ideas, and the same terminology, doesn't mean that you lived in that era. It can mean that you copy from that era, or it can mean you used it as a reference. It doesn't mean that you actually live for that. So this in itself is a very, very weak claim, and it doesn't, even, even to the scholarly debate on Zoroastrianism, the, the secular world, doesn't, it doesn't hold strong on it. So according to the secular world, according to Zoroastrianism, according to the most popular and most commonly accepted lifespan of this, you know, prophet, whatever you want to call him, Zoroaster, he lived during the, uh, roughly around the time of 600 BCE. 600 BCE, you're talking about roughly 2600 years ago. 2600 years ago. That's when he lived, and that's the most common understanding of it. Now let's see when Judaism, let me give you a few, a few things about uh, Judaism. Judaism, so Avraham Avinu, uh, was, you know, he lived during the time about eight, 1812, 1812 BCE that is. You guys know what we're referring to when we say BCE and Common Era? So just whoever doesn't know, so you have, um, so right now we're in the year 2018. So, uh, and next year is going to be 2019 and so on and so forth. Whoever's not joining us, welcome to the planet Earth. Uh, so the, when you're going to the year zero, when you're going to the year zero, if you want to go one year back, it's going to be year one BCE. Two years back, it's going to be two BCE. So it's going to go backwards like that. So 10 years, like, if I would say 2000 BCE, that's 4000 years ago, 4018, you know, 18, you know, 18 years ago. Cause you're going, you're, the, the zero is over here, you're going forward over here, you're going back over here, just the way that it's, uh, uh, you know, very simply put. So Abraham Avinu lived 1812 BCE. Moshe Rabbeinu lived 1392 BCE. The time of the Exodus, the time of Hal Sinai happened at 1312 BCE. By the way, so far, He's not even born yet, this guy, Zoroaster, right? He's not even born yet. The Torah was given, Moshe was given, Avraham Avinu was already ever born. King David lived during the, during the year 877 BCE. Zoroastrianism is still not here. The first temple was, was, was built 833 BCE. Still no Zoroastrianism. Um, and they still claim that we took from them. But they, their religion didn't even, their prophet didn't even come, come yet. Then you have over here, oh, where was Zoroastrianism? Where was he born? Between the, um, the first temple was destroyed 423 BC. So be, during the time of the first temple, that's when he was born. According to the most scholarly, you know, understanding on it. The, but according to even them, you have Moshe Rabbeinu, you have King David, you have Avraham, they were all born and died before Zoroaster, Zoroaster even came into, uh, in, into, in, you know, into being. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I guess I could say that, that you know, the, the chutzpah that these people have, you know what they say, the, these Bible critics, they say that Judaism originally started as polytheistic. And later, only later, and they bring in the time of, you know, Isaiah, whatever it is, a proof that they bring is a joke. But they bring up later that, oh, 
during this time is where the where the, the Jewish nation came became from a polytheistic nation to a monotheistic nation. You don't need to read a lot of Torah to realize that in the beginning, you know, in the beginning, it was a monotheistic religion. Uh, how far? How about the Ten Commandments? Like, if you learn, like, this is why I don't understand. I'm like, so you have questions of Judaism. You have to know some basic, in order to ask a question on a, on a religion or a question on any idea or any topic, you have to know the basic stuff in it. I would say the most basic thing about Judaism is the Ten Commandments. How do you ask, monotheism, one of the Ten Commandments, there should not be no other gods for you. Like, you know, no, it's a polytheist. It's in the Ten Commandments. What is the first thing that you teach a baby? Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. What does that mean? There's one God. This one God is not something that started over here. The, 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 uh, the, uh, no words. I can't. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. I really. How could you ask a question? And people are like, this is a question for people. And be like, how does this make sense? Uh, what, do you look, read, open a book. Why did they think it was polytheistic? Is it, there's a proof? There's a, is there some basic thing? They, well, based off the times, during that times, it was very common to have polytheistic religions. In fact, Judaism was the first monotheist. There's, no, they don't have solid proof for these things. No, there's nothing. There's nothing that they... They could even claim that, yeah, during some times, the Jews did worship idols. Yeah, there were sinners. There were sinners. And during the time, we know that there were sinners, that they served idolatry. But it wasn't the... It wasn't something that... This is not the, you know, the the common... This is this was not something that Judaism portrayed. You always had, you know... I, you know, I don't want to get it off. I almost went into Islam. But we let's not get into that. So... So that, so when we say that... They, they say that Jew... So you see the question. The question, they're like, oh, monotheism was taken from that. We're... First of all, Judaism came before them. Not only Judaism came before them, so what did they say? They say, ah, no, Judaism came before them, but they took it only afterwards during the time when Zoroastrianism came into play. Um, and one of the reasons that they say it, because they did have in contact. They say time, time of the Hashverosh, he was practicing Zoroastrianism. Interesting, you know, when you go back into the history on, on what was going on. Again, how clear it is, you know, I, I, I'm still unclear on it and how, how certain that's what he was practicing. But they do say that the Jews did come in contact in one of the exiles with this type of religion. So, and that answers monotheism. What about heaven? What about heaven? So this is also something I don't understand because, again, you don't have to read far. How far do you have to read? You have to read the first verse on Genesis 1, chapter 1. Bereshit bara elokim et In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The heaven doesn't mean the clouds, right? The stars. We know the stars weren't created yet. The stars were created later. So when it says the heaven, it's talking about the, the heavens over here. So first verse, you don't... The, how... You you understand my frustration? Like I don't understand the question. Like how do you know so little about something and you ask questions and other people have questions in it? How is that? Just open up the you know just open up. Okay, like, let's start from the beginning and that's it. There's your answer. You close the book after first verse and you're done. It has all the answers over there. <clears throat> in the beginning, you have over there. And you have in the second chapter also. You have many times that it's that it's that you know it speaks about about heaven. What about Gehenom? What about hell? So in the Torah, well, the, the word that is used for hell is Sheol. Sheol is used for, for hell. I had this question asked by me. There was a, a woman that I was dealing with uh, maybe a year or something ago from Israel that she was converting into Christianity. From, uh, and I had a long conversation with her. And, and she was saying how the, the and this is in Israel. You're talking about an Israeli woman was, was you know, attacked by Christians. I say attacked, whatever. They went and they convinced her that Jesus is whatever, you know, legit. I don't know, whatever it was. And, and she, the New Testament is right. I'm like, when I had the conversations with her, I answered her questions. I'm like, it doesn't make any, and this is one of the questions she asked me. She's like, oh, what about, the, you know, what about hell? So I said, Sha'ol is hell. I mean, just because you don't see the word hell the way that you understand it doesn't mean it's not there. You're talking about, you know, text. So you have to know how, what, you know, what the words are used for. So, 
this is one of the questions that she asked. And even if I answered it, even if I answered it, it didn't matter because all of us, she was already stuck. Once you're already stuck, the, the information already doesn't even matter anymore because, you know, sometimes people believe what the heart wants it to believe, not what the brain really, you know, intends it to believe. So, and where does it say Sha'ol in, uh, in the Torah? It says in Genesis chapter 37, verse 25, due to the late time, I'm not going to go and speak about what the background is. It speaks about Yaakov in the time of Yaakov and, uh, 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 and, and Yosef over there. It's referring to, it says over there, Sha'ol over there. If you look at Rashi in the verse over there, also speaks about it. It's referring to Gehenom. Also in Job, in Yob, when, who wrote Yob? Anybody? No? They said Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Came a little bit before um, Zoroastrianism. Also over there in, in, in Job, chapter 26, verse 5 and verse 6, also speaks about Sha'ol as well. What about the afterlife? They say, what about the soul, like an afterlife? So, we have many verses in the Torah that speaks about karet, right? We have, an, if, if you go, if you look at, at Shabbat in Exodus chapter 31, verse 14, if you have a Brit Milah in Genesis chapter 17, verse 14, it speaks about, uh, you know, all these things. And if you don't do this, what happens? You have karet. You have all this terminology that's referring to a getting of a cut off. And the explanation, the very basic, most simple explanation is it's referring to this world and the next world. Which means that you're getting cut off in this world. Now, if there's no afterlife, what are you cutting off in the next world? What is you dealing with the cutting off in the next world? Very, very basic. And if you want to look at where the source for this in the, in the, uh, in the Talmud is, it's in Sanhedrin, page 90b. Okay. So, what about resurrection? They say that we, they took, resur- we took resurrection from them. In Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. First of all, Isaiah lived in the 7th century BCE. We're talking about 100 years prior to Zoroastrianism, you know, uh, coming into play. It says that there, Vayichyu metecha, and may your dead Rise. It's a very, very simple understanding of resurrection. And if that's not good enough for you, you have also in Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, And the many that sleep in the dust will wake up. What, the resurrection, you know, that's the most simple understanding that you have for uh, uh, resurrection. I know I'm going fast because I want to finish this because we have a lot of other topics I need to get to and I didn't realize how late it is. Angels, what about the angels in Torah? Also, what, Yaakov's dream. You don't got to go that far. Yaakov's dream, there was angels going up and going down. In, uh, in, uh, uh, you also have also the angels that came to visit Abraham, the angels that went to save Saddam. You don't have to go very far that speaks straight out about uh, about angels. So, uh, then they have the Satan. What do you have in Satan? In Job, chapter 1, verse 6 to verse 7. It's not, it's here, it says a straight out. It literally says Satan inside over there. You have it, Satan over there. You also have, we know in Exodus, you know, when we speak about when Moshe, when Moshe Abinu went up to the heavens. And he didn't come down. And what happens when he didn't come down? They start, they started, you know, they said it must be Moshe's dead. And it says over there, the interpretation, you look at Rashi over there, that what? That the Satan showed Moshe's body. Who showed them the Satan Moshe showed Moshe's body? So we have here direct and indirect proofs of all these things. Uh, oh, Mashiach, we didn't answer. Mashiach, it says in Exodus chapter 49, verse 10, until Shiloh comes. And we know in Sanhedrin, page 98b, it speaks that one of the names of, Sanhed- of, of Mashiach is Shiloh. So we have over here very, very common things that are mentioned in straight out in the Torah, majority of them are straight out in the Torah, and yet they say that we took from them. How is it possible that we took from them if our book was written before them? Our, you know, religion came before them, yet this is still a question that people have. And the answer is the way that we gave the introduction. When we start with the introduction, it doesn't matter on the question. It matters on where you're leading towards. Uh, you know, for some people, I'll give you a second. For some people, it's true, they have a question, but they only have the question because they don't know the other side. So go learn. If you learn the other side, this is why one of the reasons we have this long series on, you know, proving this information to give you a, you know, a sort of a very, very good, strong foundation on where is the, you know, we dealt with so many different topics over here that we should, we should cover, I would say 80% of what people have questions with. I think we, we pretty much cover the majority of the, you know, the questions. 
So when you have over here ideas that are very, very common, very, very simple, but yet people have questions on it, that does not show that the, you know something is illegitimate. That just shows that you're, you did not look into it. You did not look into it correctly. And if you would look into it correctly, and again, a lot of the things that we're speaking about are not deep, deep stuff. These are very, very simple, plain, straightforward understanding of the text and of the Torah. You have a question? It is, yeah, but I still I wanted to go and answer each each one as well. But in general, they still like uh-huh. still continue. Yeah, like, thinking that we came from them. Yep. But then also, <laughs> you'll you'll soon see. We'll speak about it. if we get to it. I want to get to speak about the black Hebrews, the black Israelites, mm-hmm. and that thing. Also, how do we know that it's thirteen twelve BCE exactly? Well, we know when the Torah was given. We're, we're you know like well, we're one or two years off by the dates, and maybe if the English calendar compared to the Jewish calendar, but we know the dates. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You have different. You have different spelling that are written. You know, a few. What is it? You know, quite some time ago that um, that speak about the dates and what the time was. There, there is an interesting book they have now in English. Uh, what is it called? Something Hadorot. I forgot the the first name of it. That you have the dates. BCE and then common era from Adam Arishon, you have all the popular things. You have what Noah was. You have everything from then until like you know the Holocaust or something very recent. They have everything they they, they you know they they have it in chronological order. Very 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 interesting. Um, uh, it's something Dorot. I forgot the uh, I forgot the, the what the I don't know what the English uh, Dor Dorot or something like that. I find I, you know if I remember it, I'll probably scream it out in the middle of a class, just like I'm randomly I'll throw out a book. So um, okay, so that's that. Any questions on this so far? Is it clear? Very simple. Very, very simple. You don't have to be... <clears throat> so this, when somebody has questions on the Torah, then you have to start asking, is the question legit? Is the question legitimate? Or <clears throat> is my knowledge deficient? And that's why I have a question. And if so, then you have to ask. And by the way, if you ask a rabbi and the rabbi doesn't know, it doesn't mean that, that, it's, that, you know, that there's no answer to it. You have to go and research. Some rabbis have specialties in something, and some rabbis have specialties in other things. So you have to find somebody who knows this information that you're asking. Ask him that, you know, that question. And, you know, and hopefully you'll be able to get the, you know, every answer that you, uh, that you see. Okay, next thing I want to speak about is the Dead Sea Scrolls. You guys familiar with Dead Sea Scrolls? So the Dead Sea Scrolls was, uh, this was found in 1947 in a village called Qumran. This, how was it found? There was a, um, there was a shepherd that one of his uh, goats, if I'm not mistaken, you know, strolled off. So he went to, you know, to chase after it. And while, you know, while he was chasing after it, there was, you know, a cave over there. He picked up a rock and for reason unknown to mankind, he threw it inside the cave. Just, you know, like chucked it inside. And when he chucked it inside, he heard like some sort of shattering, like a pottery shattering. And that's not something you usually tend to hear when you throw something inside a cave. Uh, so, you know, he, he went inside and he looked and he found there was a, a sort of a, a clay pot that broke and there were scrolls inside. There was text inside. And, you know, so whatever. Long story short, it's actually just the history of it is very, very interesting how they found it, how the hands went through, how it was sold for like $35 in the beginning. Then for the, by the end, the first person that sold, I think, sold it for like $35 or something like that. The last person made, it was sold it for like one point something million dollars per like scroll. It was like a ridiculous amount the way the, uh, but that's the way that, you know, the world works. So, Anyways, when they first found this, that, the, the, these, these scrolls, which is, by the way, it's near the Dead Sea. That's why it's about, you know, 20, uh, I'd say 20 miles, you know, from Jerusalem, um, near the shore of the Dead Sea. So they, they, when they went and they found it over, when they found something over there, they did a massive, you know, uh, you know, archaeological digs in that area and they found 
tons and tons of scrolls in that in that area, and they date these scrolls to about two thousand years ago, which is this is in the common day and ages is one of the most important finding in especially biblically speaking in the most in the biblical sense the most important archaeological finds in I guess recent or modern history if you could call it, and uh, one of the, one of the proof, one of the reasons why it's so important is first of all this shows that Jews were here in Israel well before you know the Arab was you know Islam was even created, which they came that we took from them. Now here we have already you know archaeological proof that we have and by the way you look at, well I don't know if you why would you read this but if you go to Islamic sites which again don't especially if you want to stay with the FBI you know watch those the um, they they still claim that all this is made up this is fraud the Jews are made everything up like you could throw like proof to them like here we have proof like it's dated there's like everything is scientific but made it up you know like you don't have no but it's not no no it made it up it's like you know how you like you go to someone and be like, uh, this is yellow. Be like, no, 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 it's blue. And be like, no, no, it's, it's really yellow. Be like, no, it's blue. You know? Be like, no, it's blue. Yeah? So um, the, you know, the idea behind it is, is depending where you're searching. If you're searching for the truth, then you'll see it. But to this date, they still claim, you know, there's some, there's some sources over there in the, you know, in the Islamic world that they still claim that, no, it's false. It's false. Everything is made up. But regardless... Whether it's true or false, there is an issue that comes up with these Dead Sea Scrolls. And the issue is, is there are some textual differences between their, so what was there? They found different, you know, different, uh, you know, parts of the Tanakh over there. They found different texts as well, but they found different texts of the Tanakh. And the version that we have now, and the version that they have there, doesn't match 100%. Ah, good question. Does that mean that we have the wrong Torah? Did they have something, like why doesn't it match 100%? There's something going on over here. So, um, there are a lot of specialists in this field that that, that looked into this for, for years and years and years in uh, you know studying this uh, this idea. Now, before we even begin to start understanding it, I have to give you a little bit of a brief history during this time period. We're talking about two thousand years ago. There were two different uh, you know groups that come into play over here. Number one is the Samaritans. Are you guys familiar with familiar with the Samaritans? So during the you know one of the exiles of you know of the Jewish people. So what the what the Syrians did is that they took Jewish people. One of the ways to prevent a revolt is if you start taking people from this area and you switch them and swap them from this area, so they're not going to be so comfortable with each other. They're not going to be able to go and gather a revolt together. They're, you know, so if you start mixing the people up, there's not going to be unity and there's not going to be any revolt. So that's what they did. They took the Jews and they moved in. This is where the exile, the ten tribes, you know, come into play. And then they took other people from other places and they put it into Alatisrael. This is known, this one particular group is known as the Samaritans. The Samaritans, historically speaking, were not very good to the Jews. They wanted to cause, they caused us troubles in the, in the time of Alexander, um, which is a very famous story now, but we don't have time to get into it. They have, they caused us trouble the time even when we built the second Bet HaMikdash. It caused a tremendous amount of, of problems over there. This group, originally when they came into Israel, they uh, were still practicing their religion. But, they had some problems, and like wild animals started attacking them. They realized that there was something going on with the land, so they started bringing in, they, they, they brought in some like Jewish, you know, righteous people to go and teach them about the religion. And they sort of adopted a version of Judaism. They adopted, a, they're not Jewish, but they adopted a version of, of Judaism. Now, when the, when the, when they went and, um, the Jewish people came back to Israel, after the first exile, they were going to build the second temple. They they went and they were very against it. Why? Because in their understanding of whatever there is an understanding of the Torah, the mountain, the the Bet Hamikdash, should not be where it is, but rather it should be in Har Gerizim. And so much so that they actually added to the Ten Command to their version of the Ten Commandments the level of sanctity of the of of this mountain of Har Gerizim. So. 
if I were to say that, let's say I bring you their Torah, and our Torah, and their Torah is different than our Torah, would that be any question to you? No, it would be very obvious, because we know they changed it, and they know they changed it. They even changed it, if you actually study this, it's very interesting, they, made, they wanted to make things make sense to them. So they changed a lot, a lot of more things. They're just like, well, yeah, this doesn't make sense, so let's, you know, I should sketch this thing, and then we'll change it over here. They change a lot of different var- uh, you know, variants to the, uh, to the Torah itself. Now, besides the Samaritan people, there was also a group of people known as the Tzedukim. The Tzedukim were people that did not believe in the oral law. They only believed in the written law. And uh, they also, which is also a problem in itself, just to even begin with. But uh, they also went and they also had, you know, different versions of the Torah as well. Now, according to the scholars that study this, you know, this uh, um, these findings, they say without a doubt that the the, these scrolls did not belong to Orthodox Jews. This was not, it was either the Samaritans, it was either the Tzedukim that actually these, these scrolls belonged into. And, um, and hence, if it didn't belong to the Orthodox Jews, then it's of course you would expect that it doesn't, that it doesn't have, uh, you know, that it doesn't have the Jewish script and, you know, the Jewish, you know, text version. Because they change it. They say they change it. It's like if you go and you say, hey, listen, there's questions between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Of course there's questions in the Old Testament, because one of them is fake, one of them is made up. They added things over here. So of course there's questions and there's problems coming into it. So, so too over here, you can't begin to ask questions. And again, this is not like a rabbi type of answer. This is, you're talking about scientifically proven that it was not Orthodox, you know, groups of people that were living in there based on you know, all the information that they gather. Question? Remember we went to the Jewish history that came from the Sane I can't hear you. We came to get some sculpture from the Sane community. That's what we went to Jewish history. A Sane community? A Sane. A Sane? I, I don't know. You, this is a... This is where this is where you have uh, I don't know this is the most common one when I when I when I was doing the research on it I was doing the research from the most common most popular you know scholars that looked into it. When you're dealing with this, you always can have different interpretations. But regardless, it wasn't the Orthodox. I don't know if there's there's a prominent scholar that claims that it was the Orthodox. Maybe there is, but the majority do not. The um, okay. Then here comes another interesting point. There is, and this this I don't have so many people that ask me based on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I don't know why. The Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a lot of different uh, ways that the text was written, and some of them. Are you guys familiar with Ktav Ivri versus Ktav Ashuli? One person. Okay. So the the version, the Hebrew that we have now is called Ketav Ashoi. This is different than the, if you find, for example, you look at, let's say, Maccabee coins, or like like some old things, or if you ever look into these old archaeological finds, it, the Hebrew is different. It's like an, they call it an ancient type of Hebrew, right? It's a Ketav Ivri. This is an ancient type of, you know, type of Hebrew. And in fact, some of the texts, and I was looking into it, I was looking into these, uh, I saw some pictures on the, the fragments of these Dead Sea Scrolls, and I saw some of the words there are used in Ketav Ivri, not a Ketav Shu, which means this is the older version of the, you know, let me even actually show you. I think I have, oh, here. So I don't know who's going to be able to see over here, from here. But you see, for example, the Aleph, this is the way that we know how it looks, and this is the, the ancient way. A Bet, a Gimel, a Dalet, a Hey. You guys see that the, um, so you see it's very, very different. The question that, that, that should ask, and then this is a question that I had asked in different, uh, um, you know, in different, in, in a different format, is do we have the correct script? Like, we're attributing a lot of, you know, holiness to our Hebrew, uh, you know, thing. Do we have, is the Torah always written in our script? Was it written in an older script? Why are we finding documentation that was written so many years ago that the Hebrew is not the same Hebrew as now? That is a very good question. That is a, that is a question that I agree is good. If no one reads Gemara, then it's a very good question. Because the Gemara answers it very straightforward. But for people, which and understandably, not everybody reads Gemara, so it's not, so it's a good question. Regardless, it's a good question. But, the uh, the question here is is very important because the question is do we have the correct version? Now we said okay we do have the correct version, but was it written in the correct way? Was it, did we have a more holier ancient one? And if we did have one and it changed over, why? 
Why don't we have the old one? So it's a good question. So let's look at the Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, uh, page, uh, you know, 22, that's actually 21b to 22a, speaks about it. The Rabbi Huda Nasi, known as Rabbi, he went and he said like this. It says that the Torah was originally written in the version of the text that we have now. And then later what happened was the Jewish people sinned. And because of the sin, they, weren't, they, they felt they weren't worthy of using that script. So they made a sort of a, a different script. The Ktav And that's what they used. And then when they did Shuvah, when they did repentance, they reinstituted back the old script that was there originally. Uh, and in fact, the Gemara Sanhedrin also brings back that there was two scripts. But one of the scripts they let the Samaritans keep. They were like, and the actual, the actual, the Gemara reads like this. The Gemara says that the Jewish people selected the Ashurit script and as the sacred tongue and the Torah scroll and left the Ivri script, which is the ancient script, for the tongue for the commoners. Ask the Gemara, who is the commoners? The Gemara answers the Samaritans. Let them keep with that thing and let's keep with, you know, let's keep with this one. Which means is that really the original one was really the Ashurit, the Ashurit, the, the one that we have today. But, what happened was, is that, is, is after they sinned, they went and they, they switched the script and then they switched back. And we have proof for that. What's the very, very simple proof? And that's why I wanted to show you over here. The Gemara Megillah brings down, Megillah Megillah brings two, uh, page two brings down that the, in the, uh, in the tablets, in the, in the Ten Commandments, so when you had over there, the letters of Sabah and Mem were held miraculously. They were, they were held miraculously in the ear. Which means is in order for something to help miraculously in the ear, they have to be like some sort of a square or a circle. So that means it wasn't, because it was carved through. The, the, the words were carved through. So in order for it to be held in the ear, it had to be either a square or a circle or even a triangle, but anything that has no connection to the sides. The only way that this is going to work is only in Ktav, in, in the, in the version that we have now. In the, the, the you know, it's called the Ktav, the Ktav Ashuit. If the Ktav Ivri, if you look at it, it's the one that I circled over here. You see the one with the line. It's like a line straight down and then a bunch of lines going across over here, like three lines going across over here. So look, think about a straight line with three lines going across. That, there's no miracle that would stand on itself if it's carved through because it could stand from the bottom and top and from the angles. Also, that was the Sabbath. The Mem is written like a, like a hook. A hook could also stand. It could just, it could just be attached to one of them. The only one that it makes sense is if it actually stands by itself. And the only way that it would stand by itself is if there has ear on all sides. If there, if it's not touching it. That only way that it's gonna make sense if it's the ancient script, which is makes sense what the Gemara says also, um, that the, the, um, the original script was really the one that we have now. Then it was changed when we said it, and then it was implemented, uh, then it was implemented back. Good? Question, yeah. So there's one opinion that said that there's one opinion in the Gemara that says that all the the holy the holy scripts were written in the correct version, but the common script, like things that you write on coins, things that you write that was written in the Ktav, you know Ktav, um, Ktav Ivri, which is the more common. Like you're talking about script versus the the proper Torah, you know, uh, um, you know, script that was used. So so yeah, so they say that even according to some opinions that. Always, they always use this, but for the common script is where they is where they went and where they changed it. So, yeah, and that's why you'll find you know all the Torah the, the Torah that we have you'll find it. But this Torah that we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls is very interesting. They're written, for example, God's name is written in the ancient way, not in the not in the um, not in the not in the correct way. So, which also brings another proof that it's most likely the Samaritans or either the the Tzedukim, or or it's also possible. Um, and I didn't want to get into it because it's so late. Uh, and there were scrolls that were written, ancient scrolls that were written in the Torah, but it wasn't written the way the Torah is supposed to be written. They used it as basically just study guides. Because you know, if you if in order to write a Torah, you have to have another Torah open. You have to be a righteous person. You have to know. You have to look at the one. You have to say the word out loud. You have to you have to copy. You can't do it by memory. So it's very very expensive to go and to be able to produce a lot of Torah scrolls. Now there was no printing press back then. How will all the Jews have a Torah? 
So they, the, the scribes end up writing it very fast, and they end up writing it, and some of them would write it by memory, because it wasn't, it wasn't meant for a Torah, it was meant for a study guide, for the children. It's meant for people to have in the house. It wasn't meant to be a, you know, a, you know, a Torah. A Torah could take, take up to a year to write, full time. So it takes you up to a year to write. Um, so, but whatever, there's a lot to speak about that. There's a lot to speak about the text, you know, on that, but it's not for tonight, because it's getting late. The, um, okay. <coughs> there is another, um, there is a, 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 a another issue where, where the critics of the Torah go and they say that the Torah was presented, was brought up by uh, by somebody. It was made up at a, at a, some sort of person's time. And who who has it made up? One of the things that they say was Yoshiau. Yoshiau was uh, he lived in the seventh century BCE. Let me give you a little background on him. He became a king at the age of eight. Uh, what happened was his father, uh, Amon, was assassinated, and he, his, his, his father ruled for two years. His, Amon's father was, anybody know? No. Yeah? I just gave it up. Menashe. Okay, very good. Menashe. So you had Menashe, which was a wicked king. His son, Amon, was also a very wicked king. But his son, which is Menashe's grandson, Yoshiao, he was a righteous king. But he became king at the age of eight. Now, Menashe ruled for 55 years. Amon lived for another two years, you know, ruled for another two years. And, and, um, Yoshiahu, he ruled, but he, when did he become, when did he become righteous, come close to God? Between the ages of 16 and 18. That's when he became righteous. So you have, roughly speaking, Around 75 years where it was ruled in a sort of a, by a wicked king. And what happened was, is that the way that these Bible critics say that this was, you know, people forgot. People didn't know, you know, it was ruled by a wicked king. They didn't learn the Torah. That's what they claim. And then what happened was, it was an interesting story that brings, that the, that's, uh, that the, the, um, it says in Malachim that Yoshiahu went, he opened, he saw a Sefer Torah in the, you know, in the, in the Bet HaMikdash. He opened it up. He saw that it was written in a Tochacha. It was written in a lot of curses. He got very scared and he started a whole Tshuva movement. So what did the Bible critics say? They say, you see, see the whole Torah was instituted by, by, by him, by Yoshiahu. Beforehand, 75 years it was Wicked King. People could have forgotten it. People could have, he could have implemented new things. So they, they go on this from a few different angles. Number one, Maybe the Torah was given, but part of it. But then it was added on. When it wasn't added on by Yoshiahu, because for seventy-five years it was missing. It was wicked, ruled by wicked king. It was introduced, you know, it was introduced over there. Or they could say no, it was completely brought into by by Yoshiahu. It says, hey, by the way, I had a wicked father and a wicked grandfather, and here is the old Torah that you guys didn't know. So this is a, a, a bit of uh, of a criticism that uh, uh, that they ask on this, but also very very easily answered. What happened was though, so Yoshiahu went and. He saw this as a very, very bad omen that he opened up the Torah scroll and he saw that it was, you know, it says, it says that the, the you know, the, the tochacha, all the curses that is written on it. So he started a mass chuba movement, a mass chuba movement, and then he went to the prophet and the prophet told him that the because of, you know, that the bad omen is that the Jewish, the the, the Bet Hamidash is going to get destroyed, but. Because he did what he did and he did a mass chuba, it's not going to happen in his in, during his reign during his lifetime. So the. And he did a lot, he did a very, very big chuvah movement to the, to the extent that it, even, even though he did a very, very big chuvah movement, and I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with his story, he didn't, a lot of the Jews at that time were worshipping Avodah Zarah. They were worshipping Avodah Zarah and he eradicated a lot of them. But he didn't eradicate it completely. What the Jews did, uh, you know, unfortunately, the people that were, that were, were, were still stuck into Avodah Zarah is that they cleared the entire Avodah Zarah out of the house. But, and they had guards. The, the king had guards come in to check if you have any idol worship. But what happened was when they opened, the doors opened up, 
there was an idol that was hanging behind the door. Or if you think about it, if, let's say it's an accordion type of door. So if the door closed like that, so you don't see the idol. But the second that you close the door, all of a sudden the idol's there. So you had the king's guards. They came in over there. Right? Only Jewish mind. They came in over there. They opened up the door. And they didn't see anything. So they got a check on their on the thing. No, Abu Dazar, I'll be here. And then they closed the door and then the idol was there. So even though... He he got a lot. He, you know, he was able to eradicate. There was still Abu Dazara, still you know, you know, inside over there. So now, this is this is this is what the skeptics. This is where the Bible critics come in. Now, this is a very very weak proof because nowhere does it say that Yoshiah introduced anything new. No, if Yoshiah went and introduced the Torah, we would know about it. Right? If, if somebody is changing such a massive amount of information to the people that, hey, by the way, you forgot about this, it's all new, and I, I'm producing it over here, we would know about it. We have so many details on so many rabbis during those times. We would know the most important man in history who gave us the lost Torah. We would know about it. But we don't. Nothing is mentioned there. Furthermore, what's, you know, what's the, what's the big, you think that just because, you know, there was wicked kings, there was no one learning Torah during those, the entire time? Of course there were people learning Torah. We only had prophets during that time. What were prophets doing? Playing video games? What were they doing that they were worthy of profit? Of course they were learning Torah. There were righteous people during that time also. The king and the, you know, big, you know, big chunk of the people were worshiping Abu Dazara. But that doesn't mean that there weren't righteous people there. It doesn't mean that Torah was, wasn't, uh, wasn't being learned. And, and, uh, so they, you know, and, and this is why, this is why the critics, they can't explain why Yoshea was shaken up. Why was he so scared? Why was he all of a sudden so shaken up by it? It's something he made up. Why is he so scared about it? What was the whole idea about it? And in fact, in fact the Dat Mitzvah brings down, there was, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote by himself 13 Torah scrolls. The reason why it was so shaken to him was the fact that the scroll that he opened up was one of Moshe Rabbeinu's scrolls. That's why it was so, that's why it hit him so, you know, in, in such a shock that he realized a mass chuva movement, you know, is, is needed. But not that the Torah was lost for 75 years. Absolutely not. Just because there was a wicked king, it's like saying that you have, think about this example. You have a Republican president. Does that mean that there are no Democrats? You know, in the, in the, you know, of course not. Of course there's plenty of Democrats. Plenty of liberals, plenty of Democrats, plenty of people that, that go in that. But doesn't mean, just because it was ruled by someone doesn't mean that the other side doesn't exist. So there's a very, very weak claim that they have against, you know, against it. And they don't have any answers to it once you present them with this information. Good so far? Okay. I'm sorry we're going fast. I keep on saying, you know, like, I'm gonna go slower, I'm gonna go slower. I have to start giving less material. That's the only option. Either less material or I have to just keep on the speed. So. Okay, I want to get I want to get into uh, it's getting late. Um, okay, let, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to 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 uh, get some of the information. We'll skip some and we'll we'll take the, the more important ones. This one, I don't want to say it's so important because I don't get it so much, but I get it every so often. The black Hebrew Israelites. You guys know what I'm talking. You guys know who these people are. No, not Ethiopians. The ba- black Hebrew Israelites. They are a group of people. You'll see them, let's say, in you know, Manhattan in certain places. They're just like Kohen Gadol, right? With Nike sneakers and Jordan sneakers, right? They sit over there. They got an old Bible over there. They're screaming on the top of the lungs. They have like this, they have Magen David, you know, hanging down from there. Uh, you know, like a huge one, right? And under this cross. Whatever it is. So they have all these, um, all these things over here. Now, now, what are these? You know, what are these group of people, and where where do they come from, and what's the, what's the issue over here? Now, this is not Ethiopia, Ethiopians. There's not, there's not ref, this is not referring to to uh, black Jews at all. This has nothing to do with black Jews. This is talking about specifically black Hebrew Israelites. Um, not you know, so not Ethiopians, not any black Jew, not anybody who converted. This is specifically to one particular group. This group sort of they practice both Christianity and Judaism. This group started in the late 1800s. It started by two people, um, which both. Claimed that they had a revelation that you know you know they had they had a revelation that what happened that they are coming from the tribe of of you know the Israel from the Israelite tribe and by the way 
That might not, you know, that might be correct. I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's very, we have lost tribes, so it's very likely, you know, I'm not saying that they, they had the revelation, but I'm saying that it's not unlikely that there's lost tribes, and we know that there's lost tribes, and we know, you know, the, you know, some of the say, the Ethiopians, and then B'day Menashe, we have different, whatever, different things in that, different class in its entirety, but. So the lost tribes, they know, what the tribes that are lost, do they know? Mostly they not. Are? Mostly not. Mostly not. There's a lot of information. I was once looking. I was thinking about doing a class on the lost, uh, the lost tribes, and I, uh, you know, I was I was reading into it. I did a lot of research on it, and then I decided not to because one of the reasons was is because I didn't find that it was Torah knowledge. It was just based of you know some you know few scholars that went. And maybe I will at one point. I don't know. I have to I have to you know I have to look into it. But generally, no. There is there are scholars that went and they spent years and years re- researching this, going down, visiting these places. They went to Afghanistan, Japan. They went to India, different places in the world where they actually go and they say that these are pretty lost tribes and they bring proof for that. Um, but these lost tribes don't know, like, hey, yeah, we're from the, you know, the tribe of God and we're, they, they don't know that. Uh, all they have is maybe some similar custom to Judaism. That's where, you know, some sort of connection to Judaism. But, um, but it must have gotten so lost in translation. Yeah. This one had nothing, though. This was just a revelation. Hey, by the way, you guys are from a, uh, you know, from one of the, from one, your guys are descendants from the tribes of the Hebrews. So they opened up two churches, uh, two different churches, and uh, they claimed that because of the effects of slavery that they went through, they lost this, and now they're bringing it, they're bringing it back. So what happened was is that in, uh, in the, I would say 1960s, 1950s, I don't remember exactly the time, maybe even a little bit later, they went and they wanted to go to Israel. Now, there's a law in the land of Israel. It's called the law of return. The law of return means that any Jew has, could get uh, citizenship in Israel. As long as they can prove that they're Jewish or whatever. Some people need to prove it. Some people, it's very, very easily prove it. So, uh, they went to, you know, they went to the, you know, they went to Israel and they said, you know, law of return. We're Jews. You know, it was brought to us in a revelation. We're Jews. Um, you know, we should be able to come to the land of Israel. And they researched it. The chief rabbi did over there researched it. The, you know, Israel researched it. And they said, listen, you guys can't prove anything. No, we, you know, we're not going to give you citizenship. I mean, they gave them loans and they let them stay, whatever. They did, you know, provide them with information, but they didn't give them citizenship. And they got really upset at that. And they went from being a, one of the tri, one of the, one of the descendants of a tribe from, uh, you know, from Israel. They actually came, they were tri- from the tribe of Yehuda. Um, is that they claim that now, now they're the only real Jews and all the Jews are fakers. They're not the real Jews. They are, um, they're wrong. They're incorrect. And the real Jews are us, which remembered, you know, about, you know, a hundred years ago. That's what we remembered that we're the real Jews and you're the fakers. So, um, no, they keep a lot of, they, they take and choose, they pick and choose some things. So the, they, they take, the, first of all, they say that JC was black. Um, they believe in, J, they, they believe in, in JC. Um, and listen, whatever, you know, Middle Eastern, they're like, yeah, come on, Middle Eastern, you know, was chased out by his own, you know, people, <laughs> whatever. They give, they give a few different, uh, you know, things that are bad, oh, no, I'm saying, um, the, the, you know, so, so they give a, they give a few different, you know, ideas in it, but the, Idea in itself is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. The, they keep both Christian. Well, there's different sects. First of all, there's a group of them that did convert. They did that a full do a conversion to Judaism and whatever. The full conversion, they're converts. They're full Jewish. Um, but the majority of them, they stand on the corners. They start screaming. You ever, you ever gone? You know, I don't know. I walk by. I look like a Jew, right? I'm, you know, I'm a typical Jew. What are the first thing that they say? Shalom. <laughs> I'd be like, wow. Let's hold hands and dance in a circle now. <laughs> You must be part of me, a part of us, because you know one word in the, you know, the Hebrew language, you know. And I've had actually long conversations with this, uh, and I'll tell you like this, um, how to explain the story. It's a long story, and I don't want to get into it. I had to go to a certain store. Um, I, I was, you know what? I'll give you the details. I'll give you the details. Okay. 
No, it was in Manhattan. I had the guy, and my brother was getting married. I was getting fitted for a suit. And I went down to the store over there. And um, so I go over there. I make an appointment. I, I, and I get to the store. And the... Um, you know, you know, I check in over there. It's like a, you know, like whatever. It's a nice store, and uh, they and they say, okay, fine. You know, one of the people are going to be right with you. And there's like this guy my height, you know, black kid come up to me, and he's like, he looks at me, he gives me like that, and he's like, of course, they're going to give me the Jew. <laughs> and I'm like, and he's like, they give a Jew to the Jew. And I was like, I was like lost. I was like, first of all, the first thing was like, you know, like. Excuse me, I'd like to, uh, I just remembered, I got a thing, uh, you know, somewhere else right now, instantly. Um, but then I realized, you know, then like he threw me off, be like, because yeah, like I, I didn't hop what he was talking about. I'm like, he didn't look Jewish, uh, you know, like, you know, he, he had the hair, you know, had a very interesting haircut going on over there, got some earrings going on over there. Um, he had a nice suit on though, that's, that was good. So, um, uh, so, so that's, um, you know, then I was, I was, you know, I was like, what do you, what do you mean that you're, you're Jewish? Cause I don't know, I mean, you guys know me. I mean, like, I'm not gonna be like, okay, yeah, fine, you're Jewish, yeah, whatever. Uh, like, no, yeah, we're gonna have a conversation, you know, going on over here. And he had some needles in his hands and he was poking me and I, we had an hour long conversation on this. An hour long conversation on this. And I, you know, he was like, yeah, yeah, we're Jews. I'm like, mmm, no, you're not. Um, I mean, like, if you convert, you're Jews, but like, I, I'm like, first of all, do you, you know, and I was like, how do you, how do you read the Torah? Like, who, where do you get the Torah from? Um, he's like, you guys started about a hundred years ago. Be like, no, you know, we have the, we have the Old Testament. I'm like, yeah, who gave it to you? You know, like, <laughs> how did we have it if we're fake? How do we have it if we're wrong? And furthermore, they don't believe in the oral law. The, the Talmud, they don't believe in. Then they, some of them, they do get circumcised at eight days. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, the Torah doesn't say that you're supposed to be, you know, which part of your body is supposed to circumcise. Like, why would you copy the fakers? That's not the best place that I would think to copy from. You could just do a different interpretation. Be like, listen, you know, they're the fakers. It doesn't mean that. You know, there's a little snippet that you have to do off the ear. That's it. And then that's the circumcision. Why? Because it says all that. Why would you think that would be the place? Like, there's so many questions that, you know, you didn't have to answer. And he was trying to, trying to prove to me that, a, you know, a black woman could have a white kid and a white kid, a woman can have a black kid. I don't know. He was going to be giving me proof. He's like, oh, go, go search it. I'm like, you do your search, and then you come back to me, and then you, 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 know, you tell me. But he was very, very much believing on it. And if, and if you ever stop, well, don't stop and speak to these people, but if you ever you know, do, they, first of all, they scream very loud. And you know it's something interesting. If you actually do like, continue with them, they will eventually at one point make you kiss their, or lick their shoes, or something along the shoes. They, they, you see people bow down, and they, and, they, and they lick their shoes. And they have one guy, it's like, it's, it, have you ever seen the scene? It's, you have like one guy sitting over there, and Kohen Gadol Gadim over there, and he's, you know, he's screaming, he has a Bible over there written on one side, and it says, Thus said the Lord, Moses! You know, and he's like literally screaming, like, you know, they think, first of all, they, they got good vocals, they could scream loud for a long period of time. Then you have one guy in the back that's just, you know, sitting over there doing that. There's another guy over there breakdancing in the other corner. And then you have like a group of people, you know, sitting over there and they're screaming and they're saying, no, we're the real Jews and, the, and uh, everybody else is, is fakers. Now, there is no proof of that. Like, they don't have any valid proof for even, this is something that, it doesn't even warrant a, a answer because like, there's no real question on it. But, uh, you know, I was asked to speak about this, so I figured, you know, I'll, I'll present it in a, in a, in a small, you know, a small, you know, few minute, uh, you know, 
fashion, if I may. But there's a lot of information here. There's absolutely no proof. Like, you just started 100 years ago. How do you even claim that everybody was fake? We're coming from Adam. They say Adam was black, and this, you know, like, things that, that do not make any any sense. You know, where did Ham come in? Canaan? There's a lot of questions that we could go and very simply put it down, but there's no need for it. Because in the beginning, it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no, you can't even begin to say that you're the right Jew. Can you say that you're a Jew? Yeah, maybe. You come from a descendant of Jews? That's very possible. It's very, very possible. We don't know who's Jewish and who's not, especially the people in the secular world. There's a lot of it, you know, intermarriage, a lot of going. It's very likely that there are many people that are not Jewish, that they th- but they think they're Jewish, and the, the essence is really they are Jewish. It's just, we don't know. And that's why, because we don't know, we make them convert. Who doesn't have to convert? People that know, you know, Ben Ben, you know, you have the ch- child, the parent, child, the parent, we know they were always religious. There's no need to convert for them. But anybody else who's just coming right now and saying that, hey, we're the right, you know, the right, you know, we're, we're Jewish, we make them convert. Which means is, is that if some Somebody comes in and says, if they would have came in and said, hey, listen, we're Jewish also. Maybe yes, maybe no. We don't know. A lot of the lost tribes, they're coming now back. If they're coming back, we also make them convert. There's also the conversion process. But even in India, they're going through a conversion process. There's different, there, there are different groups that are going through a conversion. There's, there's, there's groups in Israel that go and they help this, this, particular, uh, this particular situation. So to say that they're not Jewish, I'm not going to that. But to say that, they're, that they, they are right and we are wrong, oh, that's a chutzpah. That's like going into Apple and be like, Everybody, I own this place. Be like, it's mine. Be like, uh, no, it's not. It was, it was it's mine. <laughs> you know, you're gonna stand out there writing the, you know, the Declaration of Apple or whatever it is in the beginning, and be like, it belongs to me. It was always mine. You know, you're just a bunch of fraudsters. I took my idea away, um, which I'm sure people do say, but it's still. There's no valid proof there, and there's nothing really to uh, to discuss in it. Okay, uh, one final point that I do want to speak about is, um, and this is a question um, that, you know, it's not so common, but how do we know we have one God? Ever thought about that? Well, first of all, but like, how do we know? Like, maybe there's more. So first of all, there are some questions, and the reason why, I was thinking if I should introduce this or not, because... It's not, you know, like, it's not a question that most people have. It's, you know, how many people nowadays are thinking that there's polytheistic God? It's not such a common question, but the underlining process behind it, and this is really, by the way, the, the real, the whole idea of this entire class is not for the lecture, not for the, the details that I gave you, but for the thought process behind it. I'm gonna wrap it up and I'm gonna explain to you what, I, what I'm, what I mean by that. But, when you're dealing with questions that are very hard to grasp or behind your, your information to grasp, and it could be what, you know, you know, how do we know there's not more than one God? How do we know what was God beforehand? What was God? There's some things that we cannot comprehend. These questions are, first of all, they're irrelevant questions. It doesn't matter if it's irrelevant. So somebody once asked me this, and they said, okay, how do we know that it's one God? There's more than one God. That would throw me, like, off, because these are the questions, how do you know God exists? Right, well, let's say they say, oh, so, but God guess that's that we went through in the beginning, where we proved through, you know, through scientific, you know, things, and we went, we went to different proofs on how, from the Big Bang to, you know, the, the intelligent design to, you know, evolution. We did, we did a lot of proof that there how God exists. But to say, oh, maybe there's more than one God. How do we know? Maybe this God is the powerful God right now. And there's more than one. Maybe there's more, more than one God. So first of all, the question is irrelevant. Why is the question is irrelevant? Because someone at once asked me this. Um, and this is a very, very, you have to be careful when you're using this tactic. Someone goes and says, um, how do you know that there's more than one? Uh, maybe there's more than one God. I'm like, okay, so say that there is. Now what? Anything change? Like, do you not have to keep the Torah? Do you not have to? Like, the one God, is he the powerful one now? He's like, yeah. Does anything have to change? And he's like, no. But, I'm like, okay. We have to, before we go further, we have to discuss. Well, I'm more than welcome to have this conversation, but you have to figure out, is the question relevant or is the question not? If you're asking a hypothetical question that will never actually 
you know, come into any practical use, in, even if it will trickle down to any practical use, then the question itself doesn't matter. If the question would matter, oh, should I keep the Torah, should I not keep the Torah, you know, it's like someone says, you know, like, I don't believe in God, I believe there's aliens. Aliens gave the Torah and aliens are ruling over the world. Okay, fine, so listen to the aliens, the Torah is, whatever your method is, I mean, obviously it's not the correct way, but the bottom line is, it doesn't change the fact that you have to listen to them. Or you have to listen, so what is, the, what is the difference? It's like someone that says, what was God doing before the world was created? Who are you? Who are you? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, send them the letter, you know, like, dear God, you know, like, what were you doing? I'm like, that, that, does that make any difference? Okay, so you ask me, that's why, the, you know, the, a lot of sages say that there are certain things that are beyond our grasp. Those things, there's no point of delving into those questions. Number one, irrelevant. Number two, we can never comprehend it. Even if we are presented with the right answer, we won't understand it. First of all, how we can, we can understand, even let's say, for example, that, that, you know, what did God exist before the world? Time, what's time? There's no time in that. We can't even understand the, what, what it is now in the other world. The, the aspect of time, time about, God is above time. That's what the name Yudke Vavke stands for. It means that he's above, he's not, not, he was, he was, what he sees is the past, present, and future all in one shot. There's no time for God. So what are you, you're having questions on that? So really, it's an, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's an idiotic question, but the foundation of the question is, is irrelevant. A little bit idiotic. Look at that. It's like a small smidget of it. The, because why? Because it doesn't make any difference. But even so, I said, with all that, let's answer your question. So it said, number one, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. But, if it does, let's say, let's look at the world. It's very simple. If you want to know if there's more than one creator to something so intricate, you can look at it. You look at, you look at many, um, let me see if I give you an example, uh, uh, you know, about cars. And I, again, I, only reason why I'm doing that is because the first thing that just popped into my mind, and I think it's, it gives it very clearly. When you're going and you want to, you, you, something wrong with your car. You have two options to fix your car. You can either fix your car with a factory, which means is, let's say you have a Toyota. So the Toyota presented the, you know, made, made the same replacement. Or you could get some, some Chinese off-brand on it. Sometimes off by Toyota also, they run the factory after. Whatever it is, right? Some, some Chinese off-brand in it. Now, usually the factory one is more expensive. But let's say that other one is made by German Mercedes, the other piece. Still, it's better to get the factory one from Toyota. Why? Because they made the, the they made the product. They know all the details in it. It's best to use the same manufacturer from the same product. Um, I, I don't know if... Think about it like this. So let's say you have uh, a very expensive watch. And you want to fix the watch, you're not going to go to your regular run, you know, you're going to send it back to the company and you want it to get fixed by the professionals, by the company. Because you never know what you're going to be getting from that. You want to go to the original. Meaning is, is that there is consistency when it's by one creator. Once you're introducing other creators, you're producing, you're introducing other variables that it's going to, that's going to make the car not last as long. And, uh, but if you have something that lasts, that's made from one thing, it lasts a long time. You look at the world, you look, you could see it's unified. You could see it's, you look at the way that the science, the way of nature, the way that nature works, you have the periodic table, doesn't change. You have the, you know, the nitrogen cycle, you have the oxygen cycle, you have so many things, the way that it works exactly the same all the time. Unless there's some sort of outside influence in it, it's, it's, it's not going to change. And if it changes, it's changing it for temporarily, it's going right back to the way that it was. Now I'm not talking about global warming and all the other changes in the world. You're talking about, uh, you know, the basics of, the basic chemistries of the world is always stays, it always stays the same. Meaning, is that a pro- it shows that there's one unified creator. If you had more than one God, more than one creator, you would see some sort of not unification. Like sometimes, you know, the weight of helium will be this, and sometimes the weight of helium will be this. Sometimes this atom is gonna be this, sometimes this equation is gonna equal this, and sometimes this equation is good, because it depends who's winning. 
Who is winning now? Is it this God is winning? Is the other God winning? Is there other thing? It depends on a lot of things. But when you're looking at the world and the world looks unified, it's coming in from a single source. It shows you and it proves you that it must come from a single source. And that's why when you look at the world, everything works so beautifully that it's and so with such unity that it proves that that it comes from one source. Now that is a question. That is an answer. That's ugh, whatever. Good answer. Whatever it is. I, you know whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. The real answer is that we went and we proved that there is a God. We proved that the Torah is legit. Uh, we proved that the, whatever the Torah says must be true. What does the Torah say? It says uh, if you believe in the Torah, then there's no question about what you know what, how many gods there are. It says straight up in the Torah. If you believe it, then you believe everything. If you don't believe it, then you have questions. But the Torah says straight out that you have um, that there is that there is only uh, one God. So I, there's a few things that I want to speak about, but it's getting late. I don't think it's so, and I have other things that I want to speak about offline. So the the you know these this this idea of of uh, um, you know the questions that, that that are asked, and I want to show I want to show you the method of that I, that I went today, and and what why is it I spoke in this you know in this you know on these topics. Well, the first thing that we started speaking about was, for example, Zerasim, Epic of Gilgamesh. Things that people ask questions on the Torah that are so silly and so easy to answer, and that's where majority of the questions are. I've had people that send me questions on two conflicting verses, two conflicting verses. I've had so many of these. Ah, how do you answer that? And it's so elementary because you just if you read the correct interpretation of it, the correct translation already answers it. If not, take one step further. Rashi answers it. Like the so there's a lot of things that's so elementary that when people ask questions, you have to think about it. If this is a really strong question for you, did you go into you do you do correct research? If you did correct research on it, if you ask the correct people, it's not going to be a question because they're so easy to answer. And majority of the questions are simple as that. Then we went and we spoke also about the the, the ancient text and how do we know we have the correct version? You know, this is this is something that can answer all you know those questions itself. There is a topic in itself on the different types of the Torah. What happened in the history of the Torah? What the, the Torah was was there? I'd be missing pieces that we have to go. It's a different thing entirely. I didn't have time to you know to get to it today, but I covered the most important part. I feel you know in, in you know in, in its sense. Then we spoke about different ideas. For one of the reasons that I put regarding the Black Hebrew Israelites is that it's the same. It's the same concept. I put it in this class particularly because it's the same concept where things are so simple and so easy, and it's so obviously not a question to the majority of people. But yet, for some people, it is. And that's because of there's a lack of knowledge. You don't know. You don't know what's going on over here. You do know what's going on over here. You, 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 when you have a little bit more knowledge, the questions don't even begin to become a question. So what the, what the real reason is, if you have questions on the Torah, the real reason is, do you know the Torah well enough? Where are you basing your questions from? Are you basing it from some guy Scott from on the couch, or you're basing it off legitimate? And by the way, just because if let's say you know you came according to some text and you have questions on it, go look for the answers. The answers are there. Go ask people. Even if, ask rabbis, ask people that are knowledge about the, these things, because it's important for you. To get clarification on it, never say okay. It's the wrong. It's a wrong. It's it's incorrect. And the answer is probably this. If you want to get an answer, it's very important to go and find the answer to these questions. But don't think for a second that because the question poses a very good question, there's no answer to it. That's for sure. And that we proved, I think, very, very, you know, with a very, very strong foundation. I can feel. I hope we all feel very, very confident that we, when regarding to people that have questions on the Torah, the validity of the Torah. I think we should, you know, for any for those that have been with us throughout the entire, um, you know. Season, I don't know, this is longer than season, it's quite some time. There should be a very strong foundation that you have over here. And finally, and I'll get you a second. And finally, we spoke about questions that are irrelevant. These are questions that are very common also that people ask questions. So first of all, is it irrelevant questions or irrelevant questions? Would it make a difference in your life if you know what happened beforehand in the world, if you did it, or, you know, these are things that are beyond our grasp and it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Questions? Yeah, you're saying that we finished the whole Bible series? Mm. There's a few more classes that I want to give. I wanted to also present this to you. There's, there's a, 
There's for sure two more. What I want to do, and this is, is going to be depending up to you guys over here, it, I was thinking about making a, uh, a sort of a summary review. So we went through a lot of information. Yeah, I was so, say it's like 20 classes. Yeah, how are you going to understand it? So I want to do, I'm gonna, that's what I'm planning on making a summary review. Like someone asks you this question, how do you answer it? This question, answer it. Now, I don't know how much sources I'll bring because then you'll have references. So I was thinking about doing that. Uh, then maybe I'll add one or two more classes besides that. But we're coming close to the end. But I don't remember what we said about the series. So we're going to give right. So we're going to give something. We're going to give something as sort of a summary to go and, and understand it in a very very clear fashion. That is a very important class for Bilgam. Uh, so don't don't miss that one. Is that that's gonna that's gonna give you like, it's a shame. Usually I like doing it with people that have questions. Like somebody, you know, this is a debate style. So so if you have questions, oh that yeah, bring her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have a question. Um, if in order to if people have questions, right, and the answer is to to look in the source and actually get to the reality of it, then what about people who have questions about other religions? Because aren't you not supposed to be go looking into other religions? Yeah. Yeah, if you have, first of all, what the, that's why, you know, I was, so the question he asked is very good. What if you have, so let's say you have questions on the Torah, so you're looking at that. What if you have questions on other religions? So generally, yeah, you're not supposed to look at other religions. These are, these are filled. And that's why when I, I went through all the majority of the other religions and I proved it, I tried to do it in the easiest way that doesn't, you know, result in any sort of halakhic problem. But which is, which is, you're right. It does bring a little bit of a, of a problematic, you know, you know, situation that it deals with. Nowadays, unfortunately, we need it because of the of the situation that that we're in. But yeah, a majority of the people that are not dealing with these things should not be opening up a New Testament. They should not be going and opening up the you know the Quran. They should not be looking into you know any of the texts from the um, you know from Hinduism or anything like that. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. 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 You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.